Well, hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to Grace this weekend. Thanks for being here. We're in a, a series right now called Give It Away, and we're talking about bringing hope to places that hope is hard to find. And so we started the conversation uh, last weekend. If you miss it, you can go out online and grab that if you want and uh, watch it or listen to it. Uh, this weekend, we want to talk uh, specifically about something that we often call the Great Commission. So the Great Commission. So what this is, is uh, some of the last things Jesus ever said before he went back to heaven. Uh, he gathered his uh, disciples and a, a group of people who watched him go back to heaven. And he said, uh, here's your marching orders. This is the, the prime directive of a Christian's life, a disciple of Jesus's life, the prime directive of the church. And I want you to go and do this. And it comes directly from uh, the mouth and the heart and the mind of Christ. And it becomes something that governs us personally and then defines a lot of what we do as a church. So let me show it to you. Grab your Bibles if you got them and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, we're going to just set up shop here this weekend. So uh, you can stay there. It's page 698 in those Bibles in the chairs if you want to use one of those. And uh, if you uh, are an electronic device user, we use the Uversion app. So you can hit that. So here it is, verse 19, chapter 28, Matthew. Uh, Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, name of the Son, name of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, if you grew up in church, those verses are probably familiar to you. If you're new to your faith, like a lot of us here are at Grace, or if you're just kind of checking out uh, what it means to follow Jesus, uh, I'm going to teach that, that those passages to you here in a minute and explain it all. But what you're going to find is that, that because that is a pillar of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, that a lot of what Grace Church does, a lot of what Christians do, is built off of those verses. Like we would take that kind of uh, to heart and try to implement that in, in our lives. We'll talk about that here in a minute. If you grew up in church and, and you're familiar with those verses, if you didn't even need to look it up because you know it by heart, right, and you grew up that way, um, I'm going to talk through what the Great Commission is. And then at the end, I'm going to unplug a lot of your thinking about the Great Commission. So I'm going to mess with your brain which is a lot of fun. Don't email me. I won't read it anyways. But we're going <clears> to <throat> uh, do that, okay? So before we dive into it, let me, let me just lay down a little bit of a foundation and uh, get, let's get a couple things like locked in uh, before we get kind of into the, the nitty-gritty of it. So here's a, here's a great commission. I wrote it down this way, kind of my paraphrase. The great commission is the idea that followers of Jesus Christ intentionally, and that's a big word, intentionally seek to serve as ambassadors of Christ to those in our everyday lives and to those outside of our natural path of life, proclaiming his good news and demonstrating his heart. So we often say this, it's the proclamation of the gospel. Now the, the word the gospel, what that word means is good news. So the gospel in a nutshell is this, um, you are a sinner, uh, you are dead in your trespasses and sin. That's what the Bible would say. There is a savior, there's a God, a God who loves you, not a God who's, he's not out to get you, he would have got you by now. A God who loves you, who sent his only son, Jesus, who lived, died, rose again from the dead, all by his own power and by his own will. 
And in doing that, provides salvation. He provides a way of escape or a way for our sins to be forgiven. And he alone is the only path to heaven. Jesus said that I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody goes to the Father unless they go through me. Okay? So in a, in a nutshell, very condensed nutshell, that's the gospel of, of Jesus. And so as a disciple of Jesus Christ, someone who's accepted the forgiveness of my sin and loves and follows and is fully devoted to Christ, I then proclaim that gospel. And the reason I do that is because of these verses and others like it, because of the Great Commission, where Jesus said, I want you to go, make disciples, baptize. I want you to tell the world the gospel or the good news of Jesus. And I want you to know, uh, tell them how to follow me and respond to me and walk with me. So we would look and say, well, that's, the, that's a primary directive of the church and a primary directive of everybody who's a follower of Jesus Christ. So two things I, I want us to kind of get our head around before we get into it, okay? So here's the first one. The first one is this, the Great Commission belongs to every believer and plays out globally. The Great Commission belongs to every believer and it plays out globally. So let me show you this. Uh, if you flip to the right a little bit to the book of Acts, chapter one, verse eight, Another really famous verse, if you grew up in the church, if you didn't, then let me show you what it means. Uh, Jesus is talking, same kind of deal. He's talking about going and being part of the Great Commission. And uh, he says this in verse eight, chapter one of Acts. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So the Great Commission is a personal thing. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I personally engage it. And then it plays out globally, and Jesus spells that out there in Acts 1.8. So he's saying, you're going to tell people about my gospel, about my salvation, in Jerusalem, which is like in your natural path of life, okay? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So you're going you're gonna to, on purpose, help people in your natural path of life know about me, and then you're gonna go broader, like we'll call it the greater Akron area. Then you're gonna cross cultural lines, like people that live in North America, but I don't naturally interact with culturally. And then you're gonna go all over the planet. And I want my people, my church, my disciples to do that, to, to share the gospel in those ways. So the Great Commission is a personal thing, and it plays out in a global way, and you'll see here in a minute how we would engage that personally and then as a church. Now, here's the second thing I want you to lock into. So it's personal, it's global. Here's the second thing. The Great Commission is to be the driving force of the church and of each individual Christ follower's life. So it's the driving force of the church and each individual Christ follower's life. So the Great Commission is not something I participate in when I get around to it. The Great Commission is a prime directive. It is a direct result of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So it's, it's what I do, it's what I am, right? I'm a part of the Great Commission. Later on in the Bible, the Apostle Paul uh, would rephrase some things. He would say, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You're a minister of reconciliation. It's not something you do, it's who you are. So when I, when I wake up in the morning as a follower, individual follower of Jesus Christ, I'm waking up with a Great Commission on my mind. I'm looking at every human being that interacts with me. I'm seeing them as a person with a soul and an eternal destiny. And I'm asking God, how do you want me to go to them? How do you want me to interact with them and share the gospel with them? 
okay? Prime directive of every individual life. And then it's a prime directive of the church. So the church, a church is a sum total of its individual parts. So as disciples of Jesus, we gather together because God told us to. It's not, it's not because we're an organized religion. It's because God told us to. So we gather together. Then collectively, we participate in the Great Commission, right? So we are going to make that a prime directive of the church because Jesus said to. So God didn't give the church to the church alone. He gave the church to the world, so the reason that when you accept Jesus, you don't instantly go to heaven or you're like, Jesus, forgive me my sins and come into my heart, amen. What, what, I'm in heaven. Or the, the reason why that doesn't happen is because the church is left here, you as an individual, then us collectively, to play a part and fulfill the Great Commission. That's why we're on the planet. And that is the prime directive of every healthy church that we are driven by the Great Commission. So that's true of grace, very true of grace. In fact, grace is, uh, grace is driven on, we call them the eight values. There's eight values of Grace Church. Number one, the number one value of Grace Church, I have it written down here, we live to make Jesus make sense. We're preoccupied with making any necessary sacrifice to make the story of Jesus clear and accessible to anyone seeking after him. So Grace Church, your church, you, we are obsessed with the Great Commission. So how can we make Jesus make sense? How do we cause the Bible to come to life? How do we reach different generations? How do we cross a culture? How do we go to different parts of the planet? How do we make the gospel clear and accessible where that hope is hard to find? So that's why we have missionaries. That's why we do inner city work. That's why we start campuses. We're all, we're all overly obsessed with the Great Commission in a healthy way because God told us to be, Right? So that's gonna drive us, it's gonna drive you personally and it's gonna drive us corporately because it's the nature of what Jesus would have told us to do uh, as his followers and as the church, all right? Now, I wanna, I wanna try to put a little bit of skin on this, especially for those, <clears throat> those of us who this is a little bit newer to, right? So when you think about like, why, do, why are you always saying share your faith or tell people about Jesus? And why, do, why are we in the city? Are we just like being nice to people? And why are we all over the world? And so I asked Pastor Joe to come up. Pastor Joe is our give it away pastor. And uh, I wanted Joe just to tell you a little bit about how like we as a church, we would on purpose with this intentionality practice the Great Commission and just give us some examples of how that, that plays out a little bit. Yeah, so we're definitely excited to be a part of making Jesus make sense wherever we possibly can and to purposefully take that hope of his message uh, where it's hard to find, where the places uh, seem to be the most bleak or where Jesus is not nearly that obvious or in fact just nowhere to be found in terms of being able to experience the gospel. And so we ha- we've created partnerships as a church, uh, both here in the greater Akron area and then all over over around the world. So last week we talked a lot about our partnership in Chad, but we're also doing work in Haiti. We're doing work in Mexico, different places in Europe, uh, different places even in Asia. And we're supporting work and engaged in work all around the world. And so the reason that we do these things is to have a consistent relational basis in multiple places to take the hope of Christ where it's hard to find. We're realizing that same with you and me, that you can't just drop in and say Jesus loves you and expect that the world's going to change. You have to consistently uh, build a relationship with folks and watch it uh, take place. I want to share a couple of stories how this is happening and some of uh, the, the places where hope is hardest to find. Uh, the first one is um, 
uh, some stories from an organization here in the Akron area, and the organization is devoted to rescuing and restoring women who've been trafficked into prostitution. And so you can imagine that's a very bleak scenario, but they recently had a retreat. Uh, Rahab Ministries hosted a retreat, and here's some stories coming out of this retreat. Um, One girl said, I finally realized the unconditional love that God has for me and understand that God wants a relationship and offers it to me. Another uh, girl, Debbie, wrote, "Um, you've taught me more about God than I ever knew. You gave me my very first Bible. I love you and thank you so much for leading me to the Lord. And another story from that same retreat, um, I realize now that God can redeem me and gives me a hope of becoming a good mother. And so we're seeing the gospel transform lives in seemingly hopeless uh, scenarios. Another story, uh, one of my favorites, and we keep seeing this unfold over the last year and a half or so, but down in Haiti, um, folks in Haiti, most of their religious and spiritual experience is either founded in or twisted into the concept of voodooism, okay? And so this is kind of permeated throughout most neighborhoods, most cultures, even most families. And there's a, uh, a young boy down there that we've gotten to know over the last few years named Simon. And Simon we've been able to work with. He knows a little bit of English, and so he's helped do a little bit of translation for us. And so we've gotten to know him, love him, uh, just kind of work with him. It's been a lot of fun. Well, over the course of not only our folks working with him, but also our partner ministry, um, at the age of 13, Simon gave his life to Christ. And so ever since, he's been really running after Jesus, learning what it means to have a relationship with God, and it's been fantastic. Well, as I mentioned, the whole voodoo background, Simon's father was a voodoo priest, And so his dad was very unhappy at this decision to follow Christ, to the extent of which he began to beat his 13-year-old son to kind of beat Jesus out of him, so to speak. Then, at 13, he kicked his son out of the house once he realized that his son was serious about this decision. But you would think that maybe he would flee, but little Simon, the boy, uh, continued to reach out to his dad, continued to work with his dad, continued to love his dad, continued to share with his dad, continued to invite our partner ministry and even Grace folks, our teams, over to his house to share with him, pray with him, show, uh, show him what it means to follow Jesus. And just late last year, uh, the, the dad decided to burn all of his voodoo stuff um, and gave his life to Christ. And so this is a big deal on two levels. One, he gave his life to Jesus, but two, voodooism was his means of making a living. And so he wasn't just switching religions. He's saying, I'm giving my past life up because I now see the value and giving my life to Christ. And so now, even a week ago, I was able to hear from one of our ministry uh, leaders there, our pastor, and he said, uh, the dad is now pursuing Jesus. He can't get enough of learning how to follow God, connecting with people that are following Jesus and wanting to serve him. It's incredible. And so what's really fun about these partnerships is we are able to make, uh, to be a part of God making a difference all around the world and in our city. So it's folks literally in the room right now, uh, our church that are able to be a part of those things and those stories become alive in ways, uh, I, I literally had to pare down just to give you a couple. I could go on for hours on these kind of stories happening all over the planet. It's really, really fun to see that continue to happen. That's awesome. And thank you, Joe. And and you can clap because there's always, you're not sure whether to clap or not. So I sympathize. So we, um, yeah, when when you guys, those are two examples. And literally, Joe's not joking when when we say we could go on and on and on. 
that would be a way that we would be participating in the Great Commission across the world here at Grace. So if you ask questions like, why, why are we in Haiti exactly? Don't people here in Akron need Jesus? Why are you in Chad, Africa, in the middle of nowhere? Don't people? And the answer is yes, 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 yes. People here need Jesus, so we're going to proclaim the gospel here. People across cultures here, like an inner city culture or a different culture, it need Jesus, so we're going to tell them there. And people in Haiti and people in Brazil and people in Mexico, Mazatlan, Mexico, people in Chad, Africa, they all need Jesus. And we would, we would look back to this prime directive and say, yeah, so a healthy church does all that at once. Like we're involved in all those things. We, we would feel called to those different areas. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. And, and we would be actively involved. So whether you're going, we have folks from Grace Church in Haiti right now. And we have a team down there. So whether you're going actively, um, whether you feel called full-time, we have folks from Grace Church right now who sold everything they have and they're living in Chad, Africa. Uh, and there's another, uh, the Centix are right behind them. They're gonna do the same thing. So whether you go like that or whether you're talking about like, what do you guys do with all the money around here? Well, we spend it on stuff like that. Like that's where your money would go. We're, we're trying to do the Great Commission. I had a guy last week, because I just got back from Africa, and a guy was like, so did you uh, like fly in your personal jet over there, like the televangelist? I'm like, no, I flew coach, but you know what that means for me? I need a better church. Like, you guys should be buying me a jet. Can't believe it. You know, thank you for the Lamborghini, but I really want the jet. My Lamborghini just looks like a Subaru, but anyways, right? So, but that's what we're doing. Like, we would do that all the time, and and we're going to talk next week and we're going to talk about like how we do it how sometimes we'll we'll go in and deal with hunger or water or whatever but it's always because of the great commission and this gospel of Jesus is always attached to everything that that we do because we would view this as as a prime directive for the Christian life in the church okay all right now if this is kind of new stuff to you, let me just walk you through the Great Commission real quick. So get, get your Bibles there in, in your hands, and we're just going to go through the Great Commission word by word, and I'm going to show you this a little bit. There's five elements to the Great Commission. Five elements of the Great Commission, and let's just talk about these elements. Look at it again, verse 19, chapter 28, Matthew, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very ends of the age. So the first element is this, therefore go. Just pause right there. The first element is to go. That word go is a fascinating word. When you take that word go and you push it back into the Greek and then you pull it all the way through the Hebrew and then you transliterate it up through the Latin and then pull it over to the English, the word go means Go, that's all it ever means. That's, that's all it ever means. It means go, right? So Jesus is like crystal clear. So go means go. Now, let's just talk about this for a minute. When the disciples first heard this, so Jesus is talking to them. He's about ready to go back up into heaven. He gives the great commission. And when they heard the word go, and they attached that to some of the other things that Jesus had shown them and taught them, that word go would have short-circuited their thinking and perception of God. The ancient, the first disciples were ancient Jewish people. So they were actually were very religious folks and they would have gone up going to an ancient Jewish temple, going through ancient Jewish school. They would have probably been able to quote you the Torah, which we would think of as the first four books of the Old Testament. 
Uh, they knew the Jewish law. They practiced all the Jewish holidays. They practiced all the Jewish feasts. They were ancient Jewish people. And one of the teachings of the ancient Jewish people was that you should be looking for the promised Messiah who's going to come save the people and restore the throne of David. Jesus shows up, by the way, he meets all of that prophecy. It's one of the reasons that we know Jesus is truly God. He shows up, he's the promised Messiah. They believe that, they lock in, and they started to follow Jesus, and they would have done that through their preconceived grid of what it meant to know and interact with God, and their preconceived grid would have been this. They thought of God as a one-dimensional relationship. So I found God would have been their mindset. God changed my life would have been their mindset. God loves me, God invests in me, God makes sense to me, God gave me salvation, God, Jesus discipled me, God does miracles. I believe that Jesus is God and me knowing God fulfills me and gives me a hope and a security of heaven. And they would have thought of the Messiah in that one dimensional plane. So when Jesus comes back and he says to them, hey, that's awesome, but I want you to know that following God is a two-dimensional relationship. Yes, I want you to love me with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, your relationship with me, and I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, you have discovered who I am and what I'm about, you're learning that truth and that's awesome, it means a lot to you, and I want you to go. Your relationship with God is not yours alone. Your relationship with God is to be shared. And Jesus would have taught that, and it's very true even for us today. My relationship with God is a very personal relationship with God, and it is in no way ever to be private. My relationship with God is to be shared. And I would have shaken the disciples originally, like, wait a minute, you're telling me I can't even really honor God or follow God or be close to God if I'm not giving it away? You're telling me that, that in order to love the Lord of my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I actually have to love my neighbor as myself to complete that whole process? I can't be close to God unless I love the people that he loves. So Jesus comes in and he hits nerve there and he says, listen, this is a two-dimensional thing. Your relationship with me is absolutely your relationship with me and it is not to stop there and you are not to hoard it and it's not about you and don't become narcissistic with your relationship with me. I gave you your relationship with me in large part so that you can give that to other people. That's why you don't zip bang go to heaven the minute you say I do to God. So go. It's a huge thing, and go means go. It means walk across the room and with intentionality and care about someone's soul. It means walk across the street. It means the waitress. It means the classmate. It means the teammate. It means go to a different culture, go to a different part of the planet. It means it's the whole thing, right? But go means go, and go never means stay. Go means go, and go never means keep for yourself. So when you start the Great Commission, that's what it means. And that is a directive given to every individual follower of Jesus Christ and given to the church as a whole. 
and we must go. In fact, you cannot not go and be close to God or honor God. It has to be connected. So go means go, and it's the first element of the Great Commission. Jesus goes on then, go and do what, right? Therefore go, and what are we supposed to do when we go? Go and make disciples of all nations, and that's the second element. Go and make disciples. So when we go, what are we doing? Are we going and drilling wells for people in Africa? Maybe. Are we going and doing famine relief? Possibly. Are we going and practicing medicine? Maybe as a platform to do something else. Are we going and having mass crusades where we're saying, who doesn't want to go to hell or who wants a miracle? You know, a question that everybody's going to say yes to. What are we going and doing? We're going and making disciples. A disciple is someone who knows, loves, follows, and is fully devoted to their master. So we are going and we are explaining the heart and the mind and the passion and the invitation of Jesus Christ. It's fascinating what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say go and make Christians. He doesn't say go and export a subculture. He doesn't say go and make Americans. He doesn't say, go and show them how to do church right, right? He says, you go and you make disciples. Just simply introduce me, explain as like an ambassador, as if I was making my appeal through you, so the Apostle Paul says it, go and introduce me in my heart, in my mind, in my love, in my passion for them, and I'll do the rest of it. So go and make disciples. As any time that we go and add to the agenda, we pervert the Great Commission. We're going to go and we're going to straighten them out. We're going to go and we're going to show them how to do stuff. We're going to go and we're going to let them know. No, no, no. I'm just going to go. I'm not going to pervert the Great Commission. I'm going to go and make disciples. And I'm going to let God do the orienting of someone. And that way, Following Christ crosses boundaries, it crosses cultures, it's global. People in other parts of the world don't do church remotely the way that we do church, right? And they're fine. They don't have the same political views that we have. They don't interact with their children the same way that we do. We're not trying to export that. We're trying to export the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who is Christ? What's his heart? What's his mind? And what's his invitation? So we go and we make disciples. We seek to introduce people to the heart and the mind of Christ. Okay, that's the second element. So we're going to go, verse 19, therefore we're going to go, going to make disciples, and then here's the third element. We're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, name of the Son, name of the Holy Spirit. All right? We're going to baptize them. Now let's just talk about baptism for a minute and what it is and what it isn't. Baptism is not conversion. So when we baptize, you don't receive your salvation when you're baptized, okay? Baptism is an outward symbol of an inward commitment. And so I use the example of my my, uh, wedding ring a lot, okay? My relationship with Heidi is not tied to the piece of jewelry I have on my hand. My relationship with Heidi is tied to the commitment I made to her in my heart. 
The piece of jewelry is an outward symbol of the inward commitment, right? So when I walk into a room and all the ladies see the ring on my finger, right? Sorely disappointed, I know, right? But it just lets you know there's something he did on the inside represented on the outside. So when I put this ring on, it didn't make me married. If I could take this ring off, Heidi bought it for me, it's too small. So it's more like a brand than a jewelry, but anyways, it's kind of a personal issue. But if, if I could get this ring off, it would not make me unmarried. It's an outward symbol of an inward commitment. That's what baptism is. Baptism is an outward expression of me committing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So baptism has two functions to it, the Bible teaches. One function is it's my, it's my coming out party. It's the public proclamation that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want everybody to know it. That's why baptism is always public. I had a lady years ago ask me, she said, I get real nervous in front of people. Could you baptize me in my pool in my backyard? I said, nope, absolutely not. You can jump in that pool as many times as you want. It's not a baptism. It's not about getting wet and going underwater. It's the public proclamation. I am dying to myself and I'm being resurrected in Christ. That's the symbolism. I'm cleansed from my sin. That's why the water's involved. It's my coming out party that I'm a follower of Jesus. The second thing baptism does that we talk less about is baptism is my identity to the church. So it's me becoming a part of, of kind of the greater church body. It's me joining in the church of Jesus Christ, right? And that's a big part of baptism. In fact, the early church, uh, the first couple centuries, when you accepted Jesus as your savior, they wouldn't baptize you right away. They would disciple you first and let you know what you were just signing up for. So they would look and say, are you prepared to die for this? Are you prepared to lose your family for this? Are you prepared to get kicked out of your house as a kid? Are you prepared to no longer have business connections? Are you prepared to be shunned? Are you signing up to be a follower of Jesus? And about a year or so later, if you did that and were faithful in it, then they would baptize you. Then you would make a public pronouncement and then you'd be welcomed in kind of to the, to the community of Christ. So Jesus says, go, go means go, doesn't mean anything but go, right? Make disciples. We're not making Christians, we're not, we're not, uh, spreading a subculture, make disciples, people who love, follow, and fully devoted to Christ, then help them to identify. They're gonna come out publicly and they're gonna identify with the greater body of Christ, kind of be welcomed into that community. Then there's a fourth element. Here it is, ready, look at it, verse 19. Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, name of the Son, name of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Now we're teaching to obey, right? And people who have devoted themselves to Christ, who have come out publicly or are willing to take whatever heat is associated with that, you don't have any problem helping them to obey Christ. So obedience is not our path to God. Obedience is our byproduct from being a follower of Jesus Christ. Obedience isn't a proof, it's a product. It's, It's a natural overflow. So when we're teaching people to obey, we're not teaching them to get their act together and knock it off and live like a Christian, right? When we're teaching people to obey, what we're doing is we're saying, hey, this is what God wants and what God says, 
the motivation for conforming your life to God is not so that maybe you'll get into heaven by the skin of your teeth. The motivation for conforming your life to God is, I don't want anything in my life to distract or to take away from me reflecting Christ to the people around me. So, the, so the, reason I, the reason I changed my behavior, the reason that I, I don't want to be Captain F-bomb anymore is not so that, oh man, if I say the F word too many times, I don't get to heaven. The reason I want to change my vocabulary is so that nothing distracts from me being an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And if you tell me, oh, if I set my marriage up this way or do my parenting this way or conform my life this way, that makes me a clearer representative of Christ, right, okay. I'll weed that behavior right out of my life because I'm fully committed to doing that. I'm committed to going, okay? So you're gonna go, element one. You're gonna make disciples, number two. Baptize, number three. I'm going to obey, number four, we'll teach them to obey. And here's the fifth element. This gets overlooked a lot. Look at it. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Here's the fifth one. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So the fifth element of the Great Commission is that Christ is with us, and this is huge. The Great Commission is not the organized church organizing itself to propagate itself. The Great Commission is directly from the mouth, the mind, and the heart of Jesus Christ. And the Great Commission is not something that I do in my own power. The Great Commission is something that God leads me to and empowers me to do. So if we think of the Great Commission as me getting my act together, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray today, I'm gonna do 35 sit-ups, a couple push-ups, have a donut, and, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna share Christ with 10 people. <clears throat> You're going you're gonna to wipe out on the Great Commission. First of all, you're not going to do that on a permanent level. Secondly, you're going to annoy the snot out of those 10 people. That's not what the Great Commission is. The Great Commission is not a to-do list. The Great Commission is something that God springs up in our heart. So it's a mindset. I'm going to wake up in the morning. And I'm going to say, God, I know that you want me to see people through your eyes, you want me to love them, you care about them, and you came to rescue them. And I am your ambassador as if you were here making the appeal yourself. Holy Spirit, lead me to the right conversation. Give me the no-brainer moment. And as you open the door and you prepare the heart, guide my words and my thoughts so that I represent you well. It's not, it's Tuesday night, we're gonna go evangelizing. That's not the Great Commission. It's the, I, I am gonna love, and when God opens a door, I on purpose am gonna walk through that door, but I'm gonna wait for him to do it. I'm gonna walk across the room and know that person's heart. I'm gonna walk across the street and know my neighbor's kind of spiritual condition. I'm gonna to talk to my teammate, my roommate, my classmate, and I'm gonna be purposeful about that, but I'm waiting now. God, you open it. And this is where evangelism, like shove it down somebody's throat, gets such a bad rep because it deserves one. It's also where Christians, followers of Christ, start to chicken out. 
I don't want that reputation. And I told that guy, I, I gave him that piece of paper and he still didn't listen to me, right? And it's, it's not gonna work. So God is with us. He's leading us, he's directing us. And the, the I'm scared, I'm safe thing goes away because Jesus says, no, 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 I'm gonna empower you, I'm gonna go with you, I'm gonna guide you, and you're safe because I'm with you. Don't try to do the Great Commission without Christ, and don't be afraid of doing it if Christ is in the middle of it. I am with you always, okay? So that's the Great Commission, that's it. I mean, it's, it's not that complicated. I'm gonna go, I made disciples, I'm gonna baptize, I'm gonna teach them to obey, and I'm gonna remember that God's doing it. God is with me and I'm gonna go with him with me, okay? So if you're new, if you're like new to following Jesus or uh, if this whole thing is new, that, that's the basic concept. And if you, get, if you get a hold of that and realize that's a big driver of the church then the stuff the church does starts to make sense, right? So that's why we would say, <clears throat> yeah, you need to share your faith with people. You need to tell them about Jesus. That's why we would say, yeah, you need to care about your neighbors or your friends. That's why we would go into Akron or Cleveland, places that we wouldn't naturally, we don't necessarily live, but we would go there. You know, you go reach out to prostitutes. Well, how come? Because God opened a door and, and we care about them. We love them. It's not because we live in the neighborhood. It's because we care. God directed. It's why we go to Africa or wherever we're going. We would feel like God led us or directed us there. And so we're engaging in that little slice of the world in our little way and participating with the global church to fulfill the great, the great commission and it would drive us. All right, so hopefully that makes sense and, and that'll cause the church to make more sense to you, all right, and, and know how to be a part of it. Now, I wanna shift gears here for the last couple of minutes and I wanna talk specifically to those of us who grew up in church, okay? So if, you, if I said great commission and you started quoting the verse, I'm talking to you. Right? If I said Great Commission, you were like, oh, he's hitting on this again. I'm really talking to you, right? And so let me talk to you for a minute. If you grew up in church and you're familiar with this, okay? So let me say it this way, ready? Here it is. When you think about the Great Commission and it's familiar to you, this is important. The order in which God laid out the Great Commission is vital to your spiritual health. So the order in which God laid out the Great Commission is vital to your spiritual health. And if you are not engaging the Great Commission in order, it's going to deeply and negatively affect your relationship with God. So God laid it out in a linear fashion and it needs to be engaged that way. What happens for many of us who grew up in the church, we almost always engage the Great Commission backwards. And when you engage the Great Commission backwards, you rob it of its power and it will have no effect for you spiritually. In fact, it'll probably be negative for you spiritually and negative in your efforts to share Christ with people. So let me explain this to you a little bit. Most of us who grew up in church, when we think about interacting with God, we think in these terms. That the very first thing that we lock onto when it comes to our relationship with God is the idea that God is always with me. The last point of the Great Commission. So we're, we're taught that God is with you. God is, don't worry, God is with you. Mommy, there's a monster under my bed. We'll pray because Jesus is right here with you. And we have that concept that God is with us drilled into our heads all the time right? And so we interact with God that way. God, be with me while I'm taking this trip to 
Cedar Point. God, you know, God, give me a good night's rest. God, give me safe, blessed food. Bless this food, God. It's the prayer that God has obviously answered in North America, right? So, so God is with me. And that means a bunch to us if you grew up in church. You know, God is with me. He never leaves me or forsakes me. Sometimes that, that's very kind of shallow, like we just talked about. Sometimes it's super duper important. Like I got a crisis, I got an issue, God is with me. But it tends to be the element of the Great Commission we lock into first and the most strongly. After we lock into the idea that God is with me, then we back up to the next point and we say, since God is with me, I better learn to obey him. I'm going to obey God, everything he commands. I'm going to get my act together. I'm going to stop smoking, drinking, chewing, dating girls who do, cheering from Michigan. Like I, I am going to, I'm going to knock it off and clean my life up because God is with me or God is with me. Like God does know what I did last summer. God knows it's not all about the base, right? So God, like God is with, God's looking and God's with me. So I better clean up my act and knock it off. And I'm gonna give lots of energy to getting my life together and making my life morally pure. After I'm assured that God is with me and I feel like I've gotten my life morally pure, then I'm gonna get into the concept of baptism, which is, we would call it here at Grace, biblical community. I'm gonna come out publicly and I'm going to join in with other Christians, right? That's the, the, the idea of baptism. So now that God is with me and my life's together, now I feel like I deserve to belong. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna hang out with other Christians and I'm gonna let, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm going out on Facebook, I mean it. I'm a Christian, <laughs> right? And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna kinda go out like that, right? I'm gonna announce it, but I don't wanna be a hypocrite. So I gotta get rid of the F-bomb before I do that, and, and now I have, I'm, I'm a Christian. Now I do Christian things. I have Christian friends. We're gonna go to a Christian restaurant before we go to a Christian concert, but after we have our Christian food, we're gonna take a Christian breath mint because we have sinner's breath. And, I, and so we're just gonna, we're gonna, cre- we're gonna drink Christian beer at the concert, non-alcoholic beer, you know? And so we're gonna, we're gonna do that. We're gonna, we're gonna be Christians, and I belong now. So God is with me. I got my act together. Now I belong then I'm gonna pursue what I've been taught as discipleship, which is really biblical information. So I'm going to gather biblical information. I'm gonna go to church, I'm gonna learn the books of the Bible, I'm gonna go to Bible class, I'm gonna learn the spiritual disciplines, I'm gonna get biblical information about my marriage, biblical information about my finances, biblical information about being a a parent, biblical information about dating, biblical information about you know, how to fix my car for Jesus. I'm gonna read everything and I'm gonna gather all of this information so that I feel like I know the Bible inside and out. So God is with me, I obey, now I'm in community, now I get information and now, now, whoa, if I wanna be a super Christian, I'm going to go. That's right. A Christian 23 years, I shared my faith the other day. What, what? I, told, I, I did, I put the bumper sticker on the back of my car, I slammed on the brakes and the guy was like, Jesus is right in front of me. And, and so, right, so I shared my faith, right? I have a fish sticker, I have, a, I have a, a t-shirt, it looks like a Reese's cup, but it really says Jesus on it. I'm being bold from, right? So it's, I'm, I'm doing that. 
I'm going, I signed, we're going on a short-term missions trip. I'm serious, we're doing it. We're going down, we're staying in a five-star hotel and we're gonna, we're gonna prayer walk, <laughs> right? And we're, we're doing that. And then what happens is I become different levels of a super Christian. And then the super duper superhero Christians, the Avengers of Christians, those are the people that sell everything they have and move to Africa. That's Craig and Jackie Palmer. That's Mitch and Susan Sentik. That's, I mean, those guys are just like crazy Christians. And that's how we live our faith. And we look at the Great Commission and we know it by heart, but we live it backwards. And I wanna tell you that if you are engaging the Great Commission that way and you do it backwards, that is a recipe for a powerless, listless, ineffective Christian life. And it's the way most people live. I love you, I'm just being honest. And you will have no power in your life. You following Jesus will become a religious activity. You can be an incredibly faithful church attender and live the Great Commission backwards. You can be incredibly important in a Christian subculture when you live the Great Commission backwards. But God will not show up in your life and you will have little to no effect on the lost and dying world that you are here on purpose to reach out to and save. And you will not have any effect personally and churches who teach you to live like that make absolutely no impact on the world. Their biggest identifier is that they're completely irrelevant. because the order of the Great Commission is vital. And Jesus said what he said in the order he said it for a reason. You don't need the power of God in your life to go to church. You don't. Jesus didn't supernaturally empower you to come to church this weekend, even though it's Memorial Day and sunny outside. You don't need the power of God in your life to live in the Christian subculture. It's not that hard. Lots of people live moralistic lives. They don't claim Jesus. You, you, don't need to, you don't need Jesus in your life to not smoke, drink, chew, date girls who do. You don't need that. It's not that hard. It's a little bit of willpower. So that God never has to show up. It's, it's not that important. And, 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 and then faith becomes boring and it becomes a drudgery, and it becomes an obligation, and it becomes pointless, and then your kids and your grandkids look at you and say, why do we go to church anyways? See, And giving money is an obligation and a guilt trip. Why? Because you're, you're living the command backwards. Now listen, you want your relationship with God to pop? You want it to take off, you want it to become exciting, you want it to become on the edge, you want to like blow your mind, you, you want to have a blast. It's easy, easy peasy. Just live the Great Commission in order. Go. When you go, it makes the rest of the Great Commission come to life. And it comes to life in powerful and dynamic ways. When you go, when you do something as simple as start praying for a lost person, when you do something as simple as walk across the room, walk across the street, walk across the city limits, walk across the state line, go to another country, when you go, 
your relationship with Jesus will start blowing your mind when you go because the power of God is predicated on the order of the Great Commission. When I go, all of a sudden, my discipleship is not in question anymore because a disciple knows, loves, follows, and is fully committed to their Savior. And when you go, there are price tags attached to going. You will become very clear very quickly where your heart lies. Because when you go and you start paying that price and your friends think you're nuts and people don't hang out with you anymore and and all of a sudden you're like, you know what, it's not really worth it. I'll just be religious. You'll know real quick where you're at spiritually when you go. Because when you go, who you love and what you're committed to becomes real, real clear. When you go, discipleship comes alive. When, when you go and you talk about baptism, you, you don't, you need biblical community in ways you can't even imagine, but you only know that when you go. When you go and you're the only Christian at your job site and you go and you're in a different part of the world and you go and, and you don't understand what's going on and, or you go and all of a sudden, man, the idea that there's a group of friends, a group of believers who value what I value, my life group, and they're praying for me and I need them and I'm so beat up and worn out that I just, I kind of fall into group every night to be recharged. All of a sudden, biblical community comes to life because you go. When you go... Listen, obedience isn't that hard when you're going. It's really not. Because, because you're, the, the obedience is usually tied to temptation. I'm usually tempted to sin because I'm bored with God. When you go and you're living on the edge, you are deeply connected to God. And when you've invested in somebody so they can know Christ, you poured your life into them, you're very demotivated to do something dumb that would wipe out all that investment that you made. It's not worth going to the party that weekend and getting a few too many in you because I just poured 10 months of my life into helping this guy consider the claims of Christ. Obedience is a byproduct. It's not a goal in and of itself. And as I go, my love for Christ goes. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. When you go, that comes alive within you. When when you go, you will never feel the presence of God more than when you go. Because God doesn't need to show up to get you out of bed to go to church. That's not a God action. But when you go, God needs to show up. God needs to do a work. God needs to protect. God needs to open a door. God needs to open a heart. You will pray like a madman when you go. And you will sense the presence of God. And sometimes you'll see the supernatural power of God when you go. Everything comes alive when you go. When you stay, that's why your walk with God is boring. That's why it's pointless. When you go and you see the real needs of the world, when I get back from the third world, you never have to bug me about giving my money to the church. Never. I can't give enough because I get a perspective on my life and I see what those dollars do. And all of a sudden, like all of that, that feels like a drudgery, that feels like an obligation, that feels like something I have to do is erased and eradicated when I go. When I sit and stay, yeah. And when you engage the Great Commission in reverse, it's powerless and so are you. When you go, 
God comes alive, and you can't get enough, and it's an absolute blast. When you go, spending time with God is no longer a habit, it's a craving. I gotta be with the Lord because I'm exhausted. I need spiritually fed and recharged by God himself. When you go, prayer isn't a discipline, it's a desperate plea. God, you, you gotta be here right now. You don't, you don't, when you go, you don't worry about praying without ceasing because you're always in a place where your faith is being tested and pushed. When you go, biblical community is not an appointment, it's a necessity for survival. It's not a, oh, it's Tuesday night, I was gonna mow the grass, but I guess I'll go serve God by going to small group and eating donuts. That all goes away because you're going, you're praying, you're longing, you're, it comes alive. I'm never, Heidi and I are never closer to each other than when we're out on a limb of faith. I'm never more connected with my kids than when I take them out on a limb of faith. You, you, you never feel more alive than when you come back from a, a mission trip. You never feel more fulfilled than when you spent your morning investing in somebody who's underprivileged, maybe in an inner city or wherever else. When you go, you come alive spiritually. When you sit, you stagnate. And that's where most people are. I, I, can, I can point you to a thousand churches that are dead. And the reason they're dead is because they're obsessed with each other instead of being obsessed with the Great Commission. And I can point you to a million Christians that are dead because they're narcissistic about their relationship with God and they failed to realize that your relationship with God is two-dimensional. It's not about you. It's about Christ in you and his love for those that you are left on the planet to reach. See? It's a great commission. It's huge, it's huge, it's massive. If you're new to your faith, that's what it is. And you can see it, it's, it's, drive, it's an overriding, it drives everything, right? So hopefully the church makes more sense to you and even the Christian life makes more sense to you. And if you've been raised in your faith, don't become numb to this one because it, it will rob you of everything that actually was meant to make you alive. All right, I, I, think, I think the only way to really leave kind of this conversation this weekend is, is to have you interact with God and just kind of ask the question, where am I at with the Great Commission? So some, some of you are on bullseye and all fired up and, and you're just like, God, give me more, give me more, give me more. And then a lot of us are, are stuck with it because we're not engaging it and then I'm sure some of us are like, I had no idea. Well, now you do, right? And so it, it becomes a personal question. Where am I at personally in my interaction with God? And if this is a prime directive, it's not a decision that I get around to one day, it's a directive that's in the very DNA of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If this is a prime directive, then God, you and I, how, how, are, how am I interacting with you when it comes to this idea of the Great Commission, Okay. All right, I'm gonna pray. The band's gonna settle in. We'll take a few minutes, cook that, download that with God, and see where he might lead you to this conversation. Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us, for going, coming to us, and, and really we're just mimicking your heart and even your actions, so thank you for that.
God, help us to own this on the, on the deepest of levels and to, to grab hold of what you've called us to and why and even how. And God, I pray that even now on individual levels and individual hearts, you will let us personalize the Great Commission. God, let us see this, live it, let us give it away and uh, make it a passion to take hope where it's hard to find. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.